You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to the ProServe Podcast, a podcast for leaders of thriving boutique professional services firms. If you're not familiar with us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community focused entirely on the unique needs of that boutique pro-serve firm. My name's Greg Alexander. I'm the founder, and I'm going to be your host today. And uh, on this episode, we're going to have a conversation around succession. It's a very important issue for professional services firms because we're people-driven businesses. So as a firm scales and maybe someday exits, you know, the baton has to be handled from Gen 1 to Gen 2 or from one leader to the next. It's really important that this gets done correctly. And we've got a wonderful set of role models on the call today who I've recently got to know. And they are very deliberate and intentional about their approach. And that's why I asked them to be on the show today so that they can share with you, our members, what it is they're doing. So we have with us Eric Weisgaber and Adam Dieselhorst. How'd I do with those pronunciations? You nailed it. Well done. <laughs> All right. Very good. All right. Would you mind uh, introducing yourselves and your firm to our audience? Sure. Um, my name is Eric Weisgarber. I'm the CEO of Analytics Marketing and Growth. Um, everybody calls us, that's our DBA. Everybody calls us the AMG team. And um, I started the business that we had and kind of followed opportunity uh, to the point that we've had been about a 22 year long success before we got to where we are today. And, and Adam came along about seven years into my journey. And I'm uh, Adam Dieselhorst. I'm the current president of the AMG team. Okay, very good. So guys, let's start at a high level. So when I spoke to you, it was obvious to me that you were thinking about succession very early in your journey. Mm -hmm. So how did you have the foresight to know that that was an important thing to think about that early on? Well, uh, Adam and I were in a, in a different business model. We incubate, incubated what we have today inside an, an older business model and um, found our way to pull out what we had incubated into the agency that we have today and knew that we wanted to grow it over the next eight to 10 years and, and sell it and hand it off to the next generation, as you stated. And um, a dear friend of mine who's a member of Collect, Collective 54 uh, introduced me to you and your content and and told me that I ought to take a look at it and get involved and get going on it. And so I did. Okay, very good. And tell the audience a little bit about how you divide up your responsibilities currently. Sure. We use, um, similar to in your um, founder's book, uh, one of the chapters, I think it's maybe uh, nine or 10, where you're talking about the responsibilities, what you need to teach people. Uh, it kind of follows the same path as Dave Ramsey's uh, KRAs, key results areas. And um, we write KRAs for every position in the company and divide them out. And so I'm the CEO. I manage the, the business with about 20% of my time. And uh, Adam is in the business with about 80% of his time. And he leads the uh, sales portion of our organization. Okay. And, and, that determination as to how you're going to divide your responsibilities, was that determined based on the skill set 
that each of you brought? Was it based on your prior working history in the old firm? Was it based on what the needs of the business were? Like, how did you, how did you land on that? And I'm asking this question because when our members are attempting success, succession, excuse me, they're struggling with it because people aren't staying in their lanes, so to speak. They get the concept and everybody says, okay, here's how we're going to do it. And they end up with a lot of conflict because everybody's doing everybody else's job. And I'm trying to help them stay away from that by studying how you guys are doing it. Yeah, I think I can answer that. Um, it's a combination of what you had mentioned. Um, it's all of it. I mean, so I think when I was younger, I used to hire uh, really great people that I thought would fit the job, but I hadn't really done what you teach. And that is to hire for their potential as well. Mm. And, uh, and I started doing that. So I have both. Everybody is really built for the role that I have available. And, uh, and where I made the mistakes when I was younger was I'd hire, you know, kind of one of the first two, three candidates I had available. And then we just keep molding the positions around them rather than developing the positions and hiring the right person into them. And if you have the, the people on the team that don't fit it, don't try and keep them. You know, let them go be successful somewhere else and hire the people that you need. And that's what we do today. Okay. And is there an age gap between the two of you? Seven years. Seven years. And is there a timeline as to when you're going to retire and Adam's going to take over? It, have you built it out to that degree? Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, we have an executive team in place and, uh, and a couple high potential uh, people that are going to replace us. We expect that uh, Brooke Thompson on our team, who's been with me for 17 years, Adam and I have worked together for 16, that she'll actually wind up being the CEO and that we'll put her in that spot in about uh, 2028. Um, Adam will become an almost an interim CEO in about two years or so. And then we have a high potential on Adam's sales team that we believe will be the president of the company that does really the role that he does in, in leading that portion of the, uh, the organization. And we have a couple other players that are high potential as well that are uh, being apprenticed right now. So okay. we, we, intend, we intend to sell the company, uh, start the process in about eight years and hope to have that done uh, two years after that. Okay. So you have a very deliberate and intentional schedule, which is great. How did you come up with those dates? Um, just what I think we can do within that time period with a little bit of conservative, conservative amount of time built in there for messing up <laughs> and, uh, and um, uh, just desirous. I don't think Adam and I are guys that are ever stop working, but we'd like to get our, our large one off from our core business. Uh, this uh, when I'm about 58 years old and, um, and Adam wants to exit when I exit. Okay. So it's a stage of life scenario as opposed to some something happening within your industry sector. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're built to last for 50 years. Yeah. And and Adam, you're in the president role. Um, yes, sir. And you're very patiently going through that. Sometimes the, the number two, the president in the president role gets a little impatient and the succession planning process doesn't go smoothly because the younger gentleman wants the old fart to get out of the way. So how are you um, remaining patient and um, being so accommodating? 
Um, well, I, I think I, you know, Eric has done a really good job in leading, uh, and myself, I believe, leading also to our, our particular departments, but seeing a vision has helped me a lot. Um, you know, knowing those steps that are in place um, and have that clear picture painted for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm naturally a salesperson, so I don't have very good patience, um, but I do understand the value of, of the succession of me going from president to kind of the intern CEO, and then that version of the founder where Eric and I can exit together. And, you know, Eric and I have come up with some, you know, clear, clear uh, roles for me um, as we go through this process. And uh, the other thing I think that will help me too is Eric is ahead of me in the process. And like we always kind of like to say with each other is, is I'm about two years behind him. So I can, we're going to do this. And then about two years later, we're going to do it again. And so I've got Eric as somebody kind of as the lead for me to follow in behind him. Okay. And the, the high potentials that you mentioned earlier that are going to come up behind the two of you, are they aware that they've been deemed the heir apparents? And I guess the same patience questions would be applied to them. Uh, yes. In fact, when I told them that we were we had joined Collective 54 and what we were doing and Adam and I visit for an hour and a half on your content uh, every Monday afternoon and go through a chapter together in our notes and we, we take the test separately and then we compare notes on the tests and talk about what next steps do we need to take and where does this fall into our plan. And we started in December. So for us, that was maybe four and a half months ago. And um, they came to us, both of them, and said, you know, what does this look like for you guys? Where are you guys going and when are you leaving? And we explained it to them and talked to them about them being high potentials for us. And it was great that they came to us because uh, they were our high potentials. And um, they said, where do we fall in line with this? Yeah. And so I already had an outline for them and, and laid it out to them, asked them what they thought about it, and then um, moved it to a next formal step and took them out to dinner and you know, kind of did the steaks and wine and, and, and a kind of long-term vision and and what needs to happen between now and then in these, you know, segmented periods of time to evolve to that place. And they, they fell in love with the idea. You know, that's the thing with high potentials. They're high potentials for a reason. You know, they, they're proactive. They came to you. They can understand and buy into a vision. They can play the long game, practice prudence, you know, delay gratification for something bigger down the road. You know, top performers, very valuable for sure, but different than high potentials. It's a little bit more of a, uh, what have you done for me lately kind of mentality. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit more mercenary in nature. So you're, you're, you're fortunate that you have these high potentials and congratulations on you and and uh, treating them properly and nurturing them and showing them the vision of the future. That's that's inspiring them. And high potentials want to be motivated. They, they want to see a vision. They want to know they have a future. Yeah. So we laid out to them even the uh, the path that you had taught on one of the classes. Adam and I don't really miss the classes. That's part of BNI's apprenticeship. As we take notes, we listen to it and watch in separate rooms. And uh, then we compare notes afterwards and, and stuff. So one of them you had talked about, you know, you go from salary to and increase salaries to, you know, spot bonuses to, you know, being built in. Uh, on the profits. And so we did that with uh, one of the, the person that's going to wind up being CEO already. And, um, and then we talked about the warranties uh, that come after that, but really Adam's the only person that would ever, that I'm ever going to give equity to um, 
outside of myself. And so, but the warranties were a great piece of communication on where, where does that fall in line if they hit their benchmarks along the way? And so they, um, they see the big picture and the rewards from it as well. Yep. And, and for those that are listening that might not be familiar with that concept is, is if you don't want to dilute yourself by distributing equity, there's a financial mechanism, um, called the warrant or sometimes referred to as the warranty and it, and it is what it sounds like you tell an employee hey someday if we sell the firm you'll get x percentage of the sales price or here's how you're going to contribute and it's the same exact vehicle you know it performs the same way i should say and that they're they're being rewarded for helping getting the firm to the exit stage and for helping the exit happen at a big dollar amount etc it's a very effective way to um, retain and motivate high potential employees. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you that you all have embraced that. <clears throat> Something that's interesting about your story is that it sounds like the two of you are going to exit at the same time. And that's unusual. Yeah. That's very unusual. No, and under normal conditions, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm just acknowledging that that's a little different. Under normal conditions, what would happen is one of you would go first and then the baton would be handed to the person who's staying, you know, with the full understanding in the acquirer's eyes that a year or two later, then the next person would go and so on and so on. Like when I sold my firm, it was kind of a first in, first out type mentality. Um, have you thought about that? And was there a decision to exit together for a particular reason? I think it was really just, um, we pulled this out of the old business model the way we wanted to. We had a same dream of getting out at the same time. Um, I think we're fortunate that we have uh, Brooke and Lane and others on our team that are already uh, leaders and you know a couple of people that fit this uh, being able to lead the business and already be able to be seasoned enough and in that spot for two to three years before we get to the beginning of selling. And, uh, and so it's really like, I think it's better for us. I mean, I, I get to practice really having done this to Adam and how well did that happen and lay down the grass that way and then, and then watch him and support him and doing that again with Brooke when she becomes the CEO. So, um, and we'll be able to demonstrate that to somebody who would buy us that, that you know, we've, we've done this twice already. Yeah. Awesome. And, and over an extended time period, right, which will make the buyer feel really comfortable that you were yeah. that, you, that you really took your time to do this well. Okay, my last question before we run out of our time here is: any any kind of gotchas or landmines you want to mention to help our members avoid paying any unnecessary dumb taxes? Great question. <laughs> um, I would just say that you uh, you do say it in these meetings. Uh, that we have on Tuesdays and uh, Fridays, and you say it in the book quite a bit from time to time, uh, both books really, that um, you cannot do it all at once. Yeah. I do think you need to read the, um, you know, I think it's chapter seven, eight, nine, and 10 of the Founder's Bottleneck. And you got to read that book like you're studying for an MBA if, you, <laughs> if you're in my role, and that you have to get an A plus on this test and take notes in the margins. I mean, I treat this thing like it's a Bible and I have my notes in it and then I go back and work on my plan and Adam does the same thing. And so we work on it together and uh, we take it one step at a time, although we do move. And I, it's a, there's a phrase that a mentor, Greg Tiller uh, taught me that uh, 
you need, you need to move slower to grow faster. Mm-hmm. And that's our methodology to doing that. And, um, and it works. So just don't do it all at once. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and I think for me, Greg, it's really the being somebody in a position of always been in sales and business develop business development, uh, you know, really getting to a place where I value my time and I itemize that percentage of time of value that I'm doing to where I'm making this transition and figuring that part out of it. So uh, I, I don't know if that's a gotcha moment, but it's definitely something for me that has been a big step. But, um, you know, one thing that I learned, uh, Eric mentioned the uh, old model we were in. Um, I used to always tell Eric all the time that um, I didn't think we could ever charge people certain amounts for things. And I'm seeing that differently in a professional services business that in a transactional marketing place, I never thought was a reality. So to me, I have the proof. And uh, this book's been a fantastic guide for both of us to uh, make sure we kind of see the vision. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, guys, we're at our time here. It was a great conversation. I'm so looking forward to our private member Q&A with you when we schedule that. I know our members are going to have a ton of questions. This is a very hot topic right now. And um, there's so many, so much to it. So you're a shining example of how to do it correctly. And I, I appreciate the enthusiasm upon which you consume our material and, and your willingness to give back to the community as well. So on behalf of all, all the members, thanks for being here today. Uh, thank you, Greg. We both think you're remarkable and appreciate and are grateful for everything you're doing. Great. Thanks, Greg. All right. Okay, a couple calls to action for the listeners. So um, if you are a member, be sure to attend the Q&A with these guys and get your questions ready to ask them about succession. If you're not a member, I encourage you to consider joining. You can go to collective54.com and fill out a form and somebody will get in contact with you. If you want some additional content, a couple of resources for you. So the first would be Collective 54 Insights. That's our weekly newsletter. And we published uh, blogs, videos, podcasts, uh, charts of the week, etc. I think you'll find helpful. And then, of course, we have our books, which is uh, The Boutique, How to Start, Scale, and Sell a Professional Services Firm. And then when you join, there's a member-only book called The Founder Bottleneck, How to Scale Yourself, which lays out the case for succession planning, which is what we talked about today. Okay, that's it for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, I wish you the best of luck as you try to grow, scale, and sell your pro-serve firm.